2: I am so thrilled, first of all, all of you are tuning us in and turning us on. But I do want to say something to you. Over the past 20 years, when I first started this, you have heard me do any number of shows about the military. You heard me have my uncle, uncles, aunts on the show. Why? Because these people served in the military and they wanted to give us a state of affairs on what they thought things were. Then you also heard me bring Congress people on about the state of the affairs in the VA. But you have never in 20 years heard me bring someone on that gets to the very core of looking at a generation, one generation, and believe me, it's the first of many to come. This is not something that is, this is not a drive-through conversation. Because when you look at the Generation Zers that have been on this planet now. They represent something very formidable and yet they are not getting to love. Why do I say that? You heard me do an entire series on the crazy person that I think was a generation Zia that labeled this generation as quiet quitters. That is the most devastatingly ridiculous label you can ever give a generation that is highly productive entrepreneur from the gate and they want more. Why do I say that? You're going to hear from Matt today. You know, Matthew comes here today as the author of a book that should have been written at least a decade ago. But nobody wrote it. But in the shadows, people are talking about. You know what shadows are? Like when you're kind of walking around and you hear like, like a whisper and they're talking about the state of affairs in our military. And you get a lot of of, of, differences of opinion, but what you don't get is you don't get a conversation by somebody who is part of the military that is bringing this to where the rubber meets the road. Matt Weiss is joining me here today. And what we're talking about as the second lieutenant an intelligence officer, United States Marine Corps. I'm going to give all of you a lot of love, like not just the Marines today, so it's okay. But somebody that understands that there's something that is broken. And if we don't get smart about how to fix it and even understand why it's broken, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, which is examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation C, that book, that book, best-selling at least will take the course of so many others where nobody is paying attention and Matt, we do not want that to happen do we
0: no thank you so much for having me i really appreciate being able to speak uh, i think the level of this crisis is underestimated by the oh, yeah. general public um, and even by some senior military leaders who will acknowledge it's a crisis I uh, don't exactly realize the ramifications yet or necessarily the causes as to what's going on. So that's one of the goals of this book is to shed light on what's actually happening.
2: yeah. and I want to just give a backdrop for people that don't know the time frame we're talking about about when folks were born. Uh, let's just give them the time frame of when we say gen Z's, not gen, not the alphas, not that you right, not that give people a time frame. Of, of what generation we're talking about now, because this is critically important.
0: Absolutely. So Gen Z defined by Pew Research is 1997 to 2012. I think what's more important, right, because on the periphery, one or two years, people could be Z or a different generation. What's more important is the, uh, the actual time period that we grew up in. I like to say my generation has three major events, We're the first generation that does not remember or was not born during 9-11. So that event did not impact us the way it impacted everyone else. We learned about it quite literally in history class or when we gained some cognizance, you know, five or six years old afterward. Uh, The biggest three events are the great financial crisis, the massive recession that we faced in 2008. The extremely divisive 2016 election, regardless of which side that you voted for or rooting for, we saw a, a divisive American politics that was different from past. Um, and then the 2020 coronavirus, COVID, that impacted our high schools, elementary school, college time periods, much different impact on our lives than someone who may have been you know, 40 to 43 during that time period, right? When you're an 18-year-old kid or a 16-year-old kid, that's going to have a bigger effect.
2: Yeah, And by the way, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, there's also something else I, I'd like to point out, that, as if you don't already know this, but when we talk about this generation, we're talking about men and women, boys and girls. We're talking about people. And one of the things that also your generation is hit by, which we don't talk about enough, but I can't help but believe, is somehow in the consciousness of your beautifully slow aging process. And that is you're watching what used to be tried and true equalities slowly get questioned. And I I agree with you. It doesn't matter what side you're on. For example, it doesn't matter what side of abortion you're on. That's really not the issue. You're watching and seeing something that people, women never thought would be taken away, taken away. It doesn't matter what side you're on. There are new challenges, right? Um, whatever you want to call it, sex identity, same sex, you're starting to see this. And yet the military has fought so hard to try to erase the inequalities. Is that part of what you're seeing, the resistance to recruiting, or have you all moved beyond that and gotten to the place where the Gen Zers can trust the military?
0: It's, it's a great point. So when I discuss the the recruiting crisis and people ask, you know, what are the three, what really is going on? I like to say there's three gaps. There's an identity gap, a knowledge gap, and then a trust gap. So from a knowledge gap perspective, we have, you know, it's no longer World War II where everyone's father, or uncle, or brother served, right? 10 million person military. Now veterans make up less than 1% of the military. So quite simply, Gen Z is in co- contact with much less people in the military. They don't know as much about military life, what actually happens in the military, what is military service. There's a lack of knowledge. There's an identity gap that goes, you know, I'm a Gen Zer who has TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Do I really see myself running around in the mud at boot camp and putting on a uniform? That that's a that's a gap. But then the last one, which touches on exactly what you were talking about, is this trust gap. We see trust in in a lot of American institutions lower than they were before. Military used to poll at around 80%. It still polls higher than any other large institution, certainly higher than Congress, but it polls only around 50% now. So there is a trust. Gen Z demands more transparency from its institutions, and it demands more trust from its institutions quite simply because we have more knowledge uh, accessible to us. We have an iPhone. We know more about the world. We can see what our leaders do. We want more from our institutions. So in short, there is a trust. There is this interesting finding your way gap between the generation and the actual military itself. It's an old institution. It's steeped in a lot of old traditions. Then in this era of rapid change, it doesn't change as fast with the modern times. And some of that is good, right? You want a stable, slow-changing military. You don't want crazy You know, rapid change in in the armed forces, but I'd argue, and I think a lot would agree, we have a lot of industrial era, World War II policies still sort of stuck in the institution that aren't adapting with modern times. And that is starting to cause uh, some grinding in the gears and some sort of slowdown with attraction to the new generation.
2: Do you think, I'm going to jump to my bottom line question, because I think I know what you're going to say. But there are many people that think that this is not fixable. And I don't know without going into names. I'm not sure those people understand the military. I know if you talk to my aunt and my uncle who served, they would have a different perspective, right? But here you are, you are an advocate for change. Is that an unfair reference for for me to give you, right?
0: Absolutely, that's totally fair. Good
2: so if i say that and if i gave you like the genie pops out of the bottle matt i got my genie i think i even have one of those over here i do i I gotta get it for you it i'm gonna rub the bottle the genie's popping out and you get three wishes regarding this what are they
0: it's a great it's a great question because not only have you asked me but High-level generals have asked me this, and uh, senior policymakers in the Pentagon. So I, I've been, uh, I've been ready for for this one, you know. And then the short answer I give is: look, the book has twenty-one chapters. It's yes, twenty-one problems and solutions. <laughs> I know, right? And, and pick, pick any, right? And in truth, this is such a wicked problem, and I promise I will answer. But I will caveat: it's such a wicked problem that there's no one solution and one answer, right? It really is a lot. It's a multi-dimensional problem. And I don't claim to have all the answers. I'm just sort of stimulating thought with the book. But there's enough, you know, content in there that we can discuss all aspects of the problem. There really are more than 21. There are probably a hundred reasons why, and a hundred things as a society, as a military, as a generation, we all have to contend with. But I'll go with sort of some of the major ones to, to give that three genie answer. And so the first and biggest sort of call to action is, and I've spoken to thousands of people in the in the active duty armed services now, uh, tons of questions. And I asked them without a doubt, would you do this again? And 100% have said yes. Yeah. Now there's confirmation bias there, but it's very interesting when you get that answer. The fact that 100% have said yes means that there still is some value proposition yeah. to military service. We just yeah. need to rediscover remarket, it, re understand what that value proposition is. And so I believe the value proposition is military service is the world's greatest, or the American military is the world's greatest physical social network. In a generation that loves their devices and phones, social networking, but is lacking connection, the bonds you make between your peers and service, literally the people that you potentially rely on for your life, are closer than anything else. And for that reason alone, I think re-promoting the world's greatest physical network is what needs to happen. Now, how do you do that? And what are the three sort of genie, genie wishes? I think Congress or the Pentagon or the services should mandate that every new Generation Z joiner has to make one phone call a month or one phone call a year with someone from their high school about recruiting. That's like the number one thing that if I can call and do one thing. The reason is recruiting in this organization is not thought about at every single level like in a private sector company so in a private sector company you join a company you're sometimes incentivized via cash but also just by culture hey you join it's a 50 person company you should bring that smart kid from college with you that smart person from high school or your friend that you left the other company with whatever It's, it's sort of a cultural thing you're supposed to recruit in the military it's such a big organization we have this recruiting command right that literally their job is to be a professional recruiter. But the average person that puts on a uniform, once they assess or once they join, they're they're no longer think about recruiting. And I think that's a problem. I think the way to shoulder this burden is that all of us are essentially recruiters, that mindset shift. I should be required to go back to my high school once a year or have a call once a month with someone and say, hey, this is military service. Even if you're not interested, let's discuss it. Uh, just because I'm closer with those people to listen more to me than to a uniformed recruiter, who they'll be skeptical sometimes of selling it. So that that's desire number one. Um, desire number two, and we'll get to the political one because it's, it's a big one. Is is really it is Chapter Fourteen? It's protecting the military branding. It's protecting the military from politics. Meaning, the military cannot become a political institution. Right now, we see both sides of the, of the political aisle on D.C. They bring these military generals or admirals up and they hit them with questions, and you could see they're trying to sort of make a partisan dialogue about the military. The military's perception must always be apolitical. It must always be this strong, lethal fighting force that defends the U.S. That That's it. That is the goal and stated purpose of the armed forces and the branches. It cannot be anything else. We have to protect the perception and the brand, frankly, of the military from partisan squabbling on either side, because both sides are very sort of guilty of that. So, and then the final thing, so right, we said politics, sort of bringing down to the frontline level the cost of recruiting. The third thing really is uh incentive change basically and, and modernizing sort of what these re- requirements are um i like to say we should have performance pay uh actually used to, the marine corps used to have it in the 1800s the, the better sharpshooters would get beer money the point is now you know you join this massive organization any business incentive i have a business background right you, you're show me the incentives and i'll show you the outcome that's what charlie munger warren buffett's number two says right it's the military, there's, there's this rigid structure. Every single person is paid the same. Uh, if you, you want to excel or, or do better, you really can't promote any faster at the junior ranks. You know, there, yes, there's some promotions, speedier promotions at other ranks. But if I'm a better platoon leader than my friend, or I did my platoon do better than his in an exercise, our platoon should get you know ten percent bonus, right? So that's not necessarily increasing our salary, right? I'm not calling no. for that. The country doesn't have much money left, right? But it's maybe 90% of my salary is still the same fix and 10% is bonus variable. I can lose it or gain it based yeah. on how well I do. That would incentivize competition and performance. Uh, and there's a lot of unique sort of factors about that. So those are three things. I know I gave a lot there, but that's- No, that's good. Of the
2: that's why I three asked things. you the question. So listen, I, I heard uh, General uh, Mark, General Mark Riley, uh, Milo, do his retirement speech. It's one of the best I've ever heard. Like I've been listening- for like a long time. This one was short, sweet, boom. Really defined what it meant. And I love the way he defined it because if we would remember what he said, there's an easy fix to this. You said two things I want to ask you about. I think there are two, we're talking about some of the most important professions in the United States. One of them is teaching. What we pay teachers is abominable. It's horrible. But again, The military, we hear how important it is. I mean, if you listen to what he said and talked about his service being that of the Constitution, which is our freedom, then the fix is easy for me, sitting here like a layperson, okay, if you put the money on it. Now, here's where I'm going. What do I love about Generation Seers? I've got two of them on my staff, actually three on my staff. What do I love? I love the fact that 72% of them said that entrepreneurship is their shtick, side hustle. So we know that about them. The other thing we know about them is what you just said. These folks watch their parents go through and their grandparents one of the most horrific i can't even describe it economic disasters that everybody has forgotten about i'm t- right we're talking about people that had jobs be, living in tents in sacramento so you can't erase the memory of that but what i love about your generation is that there's something very special about it And there always begs the question that I want to ask you. If we were to look at the people in the military that are there, and all the generations there have something they want, and we look at this generation that is not likely to jump up and down unless you show them that you hear them, and see, that's the tricky part. Because on every survey that I've ever done, and my background is corporate change management, infrastructure, re-engineering, I studied downsizing for 10 years. And what I want to say is, when this generation was asked, what do you want of your company? They didn't say money. Two answers at the top, respect and empathy. And if we could understand that, about Generation Z. Look at what we might be able to do to attract people in the recruiting process. I mean, I don't know why some of the rules are made the way they are. I know that there may be some reason that you don't want to distract a military person from an outside venture. But can you imagine what would happen if those needs were addressed? What do you think, Matt?
0: Absolutely. So I talk about there's a few few chapters and a few ideas that I want to pull together in, in, in what you said. So you're absolutely right. Right. With the bounding of money. Um, One of the things I didn't let myself do, because you can answer all this. Yes. If you want to spend more money on the military, which is by far still the largest discretionary spending in the U.S., Right, 800 billion dollars plus. Right. Uh, sure. You could you could wash everything away and say, you know, yeah, it's just pay us all more and, you know, you'll attract more people, but you'll further bankrupt the country that doesn't have any money. So we we have to get creative yeah. with the budget if the budget is going to decrease or if the budget you know, flatlines. We have to get creative with what we have. We can't simply just say we're going to pay everyone more. Um, and with the actual generational desire, I 100% agree. I think this is a generation that's willing, and I am as part of the generation, to say, what's in it for me? to ask the what the question and to be very open and honest with that, right? So people have often asked, you know, why did, why did you join? Why did you serve? And a lot of us in the past have given the answer, you know, to serve the flag and to rally around the flag. And because I was patriotic, and I think that still absolutely exists. It exists for me, my peers, my Gen Z service member peers. But I think we're also open with saying, hey, I joined because of X, Y, and Z. I joined because I wanted this experience. I joined because I wanted to make friends. I joined because I wanted the skill I wanted my college paid for, whatever it is, right? Whatever the actual reason is, we're very open and willing to say that. And I think military leaders and society should be just as honorable to and just as accepting of someone that gives their honest reason for joining rather than, you know, patriotic, this sort of high in the sky reason, which is good. We want patriotism. But, you know, I think a lot of people will default to saying that because it's the answer they think people want to hear rather than giving their open, honest, like you said, transparent answer and then having leaders answer. Um when you talk about empathy and, and respect and the two things that Generation Z wants most, you know, the military is huge. It's very hard uh to connect and sometimes in a bureaucracy with some of the senior leaders to the bottom people. But one of my calls in the book is I learned this in business school, the people at the bottom, the people at the front line solution, uh, the people at the front line always have the best solutions. We had this great CEO come in, um, brilliant woman. CEO of mega Fortune five hundred companies, and she explained when she took over a specific company, it was a quick service food restaurant. She actually went to work, getting still paid her crazy high salary for a whole month in the front line in the yeah. quick service restaurant. Oh yeah, because she saw the problems when she had to bake the cinnabon, she could see the problem and bake the cinnabon. Right, that was how you learn. So our senior leaders they try, but the best thing that they do is when they come down, they ask and learn from the bottom level. You know, entry level Gen Z recruit entry level enlisted. Now it's hard to do that in a giant military. You can't just be on, you know, the front line with the platoon constantly learning and, and talking like that. But I think one area where military leaders can really gain is by using AI and by using these devices and social media platforms that we have, right? When a general comes by, we all stand by ceremony, salute. We're not gonna be very open and explain like the true problems. It's very intimidating when a general comes by, right? It would be much more effective if once a week we made an Instagram short video, my platoon, right? And we discussed and, and we sent that video up to some sort of larger headquarters, hey, these are the five problems we're facing. And they had AI, natural language processing, analyze that data from, you know, thousands of platoons across the military. And then senior leaders got a report that's a actually yeah. technology-driven effective way to aggregate frontline data people will be honest in videos they would say you know they make tons of videos now they'd say hey five things we could do to increase recruitment that would be a brilliant idea of, yeah. of how we could actually get senior leaders to see the frontline problem without really spending any money and really you know uh shielding the actual true answers yeah. Speaking of the side hustle point and, and then. Well, side is hustle
2: is a slang term that the magazines use. I don't mm-hmm. use that term. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's like what the people that don't yeah. like it. You, right. Yeah. This is what the CEOs at the top are saying exactly. about the people that are like bored to tears. OK, exactly. they're entrepreneurs. And where did they get that from? They got that from the fact that you don't care about them. The repeal of the psychological contract of work is gone. I think the military is the only place that still holds that. And so they want to come up with this silly term. The bottom line is, if you come to work for my company, it doesn't matter. You can be a project manager on some other projects. I want my people out there. Why? Because I'm doing it. I am the owner of a multi-channel It's live streaming video podcast company. And I know this, but yet we want to look at people that are highly creative, innovative, you know, maybe are the next best ideas and we want to slam them. And you see, what you're talking about is the next best idea. See, what you're talking about right there, not only is that idea workable, but you know what that does? I think you already know, you wrote the book. I didn't write your book. But here's what it does. First of all, it gives people a message. See, our, our message in our network is from our voices to your ears into your hire. That's our network. That's what you're talking about. That's what you're talking about. You know, this one thing, if if just this one thing, which isn't very expensive, by the way. As an organization, our new technology will be able to offer what they call private podcasting. In a month, you guys could come to us and say, you mean you could give us our own internal private network with scheduling? Is it impersonal? Maybe. But look at Uber. Uber CEOs do podcasts because what do Uber drivers do? They drive. Military people you are you are in the field, right? So are you saying to then? my words, not yours. We could probably use a different level of leadership training in order to bridge the gap
0: so it. I, I want to hit on two points here it, it remember as a uniform service member i, I I'm still bound by not being able to talk any ill of my leadership in any way. I'm not talking
2: talk I'm not talk Ill, Ill of leadership. So, <laughs> I am leadership in my company. And I will tell you, I need work. I need to so, do work on uh, myself.
0: hundred uh, percent. So so, so the, <laughs> way, the way I'll say that, right? The, the way I'll say it, is that we do need senior leaders to continue to really dive in to mm-hmm. and connect with the, the junior level people, yeah. right? I mean, period. Any organization needs it. But specifically ours, when there's so many levels, I mean, there's like a 30 levels between the junior enlisted private and like the general sending him off somewhere. Right. So there, there needs to be that continuous feedback cycle in that gap. And what happens is because we're an old organization, it gets, you know, things that are happening on the ground, get reported through paper reports or PowerPoint slides that go through 10,000 revisions to gets to the general's desk. And it's like, so sanitized. It's no longer the truth. It's a game of telephone, right. Or it's not clear. Right. The, the thing he needs the most is why is that private joining the military and why is yeah. his best friend from high school not joining? That's what he needs to answer. And if he could have a thousand of those conversations, he would then be given the right data to actually unsanitize proper data to make yeah. those decisions of how to steal the force. The problem is we don't have that right now. And that's yeah. one of the things I call for with, with these sort of group talks or videos or podcasts, yeah. whatever you sort of want to say is that voice has to reach directly unfiltered to the top, right? Not in a disparaging way or not in a way that, um, you know, he's bombarded. But if you can aggregate tons of this and have the AI sort through, so where you piece out trends, so you get, you know, 10,000 private junior enlisted soldiers, and then they, they're able to aggregate the, that voice, then you start to really yeah. have power because you can see the trend line. So that's yeah. sort of the call. Now, yeah. That's an interesting point about the entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship, and I, I want to touch on it. And it, you see this at the high, highest levels. So two things: one, to be an officer in the military, in the U.S. military, to receive a commission, you need a college degree. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate about that because you know here you have an inexperienced college kid sometimes put in charge of someone with you know ten years, fifteen years, gunnery sergeant of, of experience in the actual military itself. The best defense I've heard, which is a smart one from a senior colonel who was talking to us, is. The reason we, we value that is because you went out into the world, you saw some other degree, some other part of life, some non-military experience, some college somewhere, right? And you learned about it. And you're bringing those insights, whatever your degree was, it could be biology, history, and you're bringing those insights to the military and to the apparatus itself, right? You're being creative, right? Creativity is when you bring things from different places and pieces together. And there's such value in that. And there is you know, concept there that you want our military, our junior enlisted as well. Some of them are 18 they didn't have a chance to go to college yet, but you want them to be bringing in insights and innovations from all over society, from every sector of business and the economy into how we do military work and how we do military life, right? And that's the whole point there. So our senior leaders are often sent off to these, uh, you know, different colleges or they're sent to like internships in large companies to see how they work. Want the same thing for our junior people too. That doesn't necessarily mean sending them out to internships, but with the side hustle, and again, we use that word with the with the outside entrepreneurial experience. If they're spending their free time, you know, doing Twitch gaming online and they're seeing a new uh trend emerging or a new technology feature emerging, they should be encouraged to bring that then into you know an old military life. Maybe there's a way that we can do something better in, in actual military job level. I mean, you, you want these diffusion of ideas, creativity from all sectors of society flowing to your junior enlisted ranks. And so that there is a really key thread to put yeah. on there. How? More. I,
2: I'm going to fight for this one. I'm going to fight for this one because it, it, it doesn't matter what, who, what senator, congressperson I took. I had a big debate with McDermott when he was in office. But here's the thing I want to say, and I hope you fight for this one too. I was homeless at 17. I was very fortunate to get a job in what was the phone company. Barely graduated. Learning. I tried to enter the Air Force at 17. My parents would not sign the form. They said, don't even put her near a gun. That would be a disaster. But back then, they weren't going to put me near a gun. But this is not my point. My point is this. When I went to work for this company, there was something that I had an opportunity to do. Now, I will tell you, I didn't jump on it right away, but I was able to go to school and work. Took me a little slower than you, 13 years for my undergraduate degree, but that laid the foundation for me to become uh, a doctor, a PhD in psychology with multiple awards. But had that opportunity not been given to me, I don't know where I'd be. How how can we help the military decision makers or the people decision makers to do what you said, but to come at it from a different angle? I mean, is it even possible to enter the military and get your education while you're there and not after? Do you understand my question absolutely what do you absolutely. think is that a dumb idea
0: no it's, it's not because it actually happens on, on, yep. on the ground level it's happening a lot a lot yep. of my marines right the marine corps has two a dual mission it's to make marines and who are better for yep. society and win a nation's battles that's it that's the only reason the marine corps yep. exists right and a lot of my marines i see they do college classes they do extracurricular courses. They are upskilling them, say, themselves and learning things, and it happens informally. I think we should increase the statute mandates on it. Meaning, you know, Formal. people should be people should be you you, sh- you have to do that, right? It's literally part of the job, right? So, sure, some of the super motivated ones are are doing that and they're bettering themselves and getting ahead.
2: Yeah,
0: and then some of the less motivated ones or whatever are not. And I think we should make that the baseline. Like, hey, if you want to stay in this organization, you have to be constantly upskilling, taking college courses, taking some sort of online learning. We have – we we do have a culture of doing good PME, professional military education. Yes. It, it is great. we need to re-lean on it and emphasize it, right? The strongest weapon, General Mattis, famous Marine General, says the strongest weapon on the battlefield is the six inches between your ears, right, is your brain. We have to keep – Keep, keep, keep pushing that, especially as warfare becomes more technological. We want our warfighters to be extremely, extremely knowledgeable in many, many facets and many things to be literally as smart as possible. If We can increase the human capital of everyone in the military. And that's one of the appeals of joining. Then you get more people to join because, you know, you're going to increase your human capital and gain these tangible skills. There once was a time, right, when everyone in the military, when people join the military, let's go back to World War II. They were given the Great Giabula to go to college and they started America's businesses, right? They literally were the greatest entrepreneurs of of the 50s and 60s and 70s, right? That was it. Military service taught them everything. It taught them skills. It brought them things, right? We've lost that perception. Sometimes it's true perception, sometimes in reality, meaning perception, you lose that, you're going to lose people, which is bad. We need to change the perception, it still is the greatest reskiller of all time. And then two, in reality, We need to make sure those skills that are learned are, you know, continually important for the United States economy, right? If you take some 18-year-old kid, make him, you know, fill sandbags for, you know, four years and he learns nothing, well, then he didn't gain anything out of the experience and he didn't actually upskill. But if you teach him on this, sure, sometimes you have to fill sandbags and dig foxholes. There's a lot of hard work you have to do in this organization. We, We cannot get around that. We're proud of that, right? But- on the side, you fill a sandbag and you took a course. You fill a sandbag and you do whatever. Then you're upskilling that individual, making him a more product, him or her, more productive member of American society. On the outset, and then there was a reason for him joining as well, not just to fill sandbags, but he actually gained a lot. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah.
2: Good. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to take it one step further. There's a there's one of my favorite lines, and I know our time is up here, but I want to just throw this at you because you have so much in the book. And you have so much motivation and I am so honored to even be speaking with you because I learned Mm -hmm. so much. I learned so much from reading your book Mm -hmm. and I learned so much, not just from what you're saying about the military, but from what I can do better in my own organization with the people that work here. But one of the things that I, I pulled from some crazy movie, I have some, I don't know what I watched the other day and it was a line and it went like this, a human body can go for something like four days without food, but cannot go for one second without hope. And what I would encourage the military to do is what a lot of organizations had to do past COVID, past the pandemic. What happened past the pandemic, people did not go back to their organizations to work. I mean, if you read the stories now about 40 hotel, motel workers, right? 40 of them did not go back to work at one of the top places, top. And they're like, why? Because the rules of the game changed and they wanted more. What if, just a thought, what if the military, and that's a general term, but all y'all, National Guard, the whole group, what if you changed your infrastructure to allow people on your nickel to get their GED, to get their undergraduate, I mean, come on, universities online, to get their masters, to get their doctorate. What if that were something that you built into your infrastructure? Why? It aligns with our constitution. It aligns with our our overall policies to raise up and educate. And there's not another organization I believe, that knows how to implement that better than you guys. When you make your minds up to implement something, get out of your way. And you see, for me, I think about Generation z from all walks of life. I think about the people that I grew up in the projects, no education. Can you imagine what would happen if you tapped in to something so special and made that promise to them? Now I'm an outsider. I don't know if you can still haul bags of sand and still have enough time to study. But you're onto it. Matt, Matt you're onto it. You're onto it. And I know there's a gap, and you, you're working in the greatest organization to implement, deliver. When the military makes up its mind to do something, it is put into enormous action. Thank you for writing your book. I want to ask you to respond to that. And I would love to know your personal message. And how do we get the book? How do we help? How do we find out more?
0: Absolutely. no. Thank you so much. I think you're absolutely right. The military is the greatest actor, right? It's the largest organization of people. It's the most... Practical organization, we get things done. We put our minds to things. We are the most organized, greatest fighting force that the world has simply ever seen. American military, I am still more bullish on than ever. Uh, As a young person, I think a lot of us are. We know the power and the might that we have, and the ability and the opportunity we have to defend our nation, to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to increase the human capital of our people and to really make it so that when you have this experience and you join the world's greatest physical social network, it is a life-changing one that benefits everyone involved, right? That is super, super, super important. I think that um, regarding my personal message is to everyone just to have this conversation, if possible. This conversation is super relevant to anyone, anyone that is connected to Gen Z, I'm not calling for everyone to run into recruiting stations and join. Right? We, need, we need more people joining 100%. But the more important thing is to have this conversation because you'll spark ideas and innovation. And more and more times, and that really the book is a guide to this conversation of what would make service appealing to you, what would make service appealing to more people. That will spark the proper things. Um, the book itself can be found on Amazon. It's a Kindle, it's an ebook, it's an audio book uh and a paperback so it's all three formats um i'll never make a single dollar on the book itself the point is it's out there uh for anyone that wants to just type in we don't want you uncle sam uh by matthew weiss on amazon and that's the way to find it and i really appreciate you bringing me on today and uh, giving me the time to speak thank you so much
2: well i want to thank you and as i said before it's an honor to be able to speak with you and um you know anytime you want to contact me or ask me you know, what is it, some of the innovations we're doing that we think would work really well in the military? Please do. I come from a communications background. I know about chain of command. Uh, grew up in military families, understand everything that you're talking about. But I think that you are onto something. And hopefully, by bringing this level of awareness, we will divert a crisis because this is a crisis. You know, my generation... They were not the generation of joining the military. No way on the planet. We were anything but that. That's why they had to draft us. We were not there. And so at least you're working with a generation that understands and honors the fact that they want to negotiate. And by the way, I want to just say this last thing for you. Your generation is not the only generation that has asked what's in it for me. That has been asked by every generation going back hundreds and hundreds of years at the birth of this country. The only difference is you guys have the courage to claim that you want that. And I honor you for that, Matt. Thank you so much for everything you're doing.
0: Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. Have a great day. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you. And for those of you out there, please get a copy of this book um, and reach out to Matt, because I know you've got some ideas. I've spoken with so many of you who have children in the military, who yourselves been in the military. I know, you know, a solution. You just need to reach out to Matt and help him out. Give him some information. I just gave him two ideas. Um, But again, Give him the information that will make a change and make a difference. So this is not a time of complaining. This is not a time of complacency. This is a time of action. This is a time to seriously think about what we can do to make this organization, which it is, better and make it better for all. Because in the end, we need them. Thank you all for tuning us in. We'll see you next time.
1: I'm Doc Martin. In this meditation, we're going to focus on your skin. So drop in, get comfortable in your sacred space. Park all of your worries and distracting thoughts outside your sacred vortex. And let's just settle in with the intention of healing your skin. Skin is such a vital part of your system and yet so underappreciated. Oh sure, we appreciate it for the wrinkles we might have, the cellulite we might have, whether or not we have bad acne. But in general, what we appreciate is the cosmetic value which doesn't fully recognize the powerful benefits of the skin in other arenas. Your skin is your interface of your physical being to the world. Your skin is the first contact that anything has coming at you whether it's pollen or a splash of chemicals just sitting in the air that we're in your skin is busy communicating recognizing and protecting your skin is the first line of defense so let's take a few moments here to really appreciate our skin. It's a barrier and yet it's also a point of contact. Your skin is watching, guarding, completing you. Your skin holds the rest of you together. And your skin is where any immune stimulant hits. Your skin that becomes the linings of your nose, your mouth, your throat, your ears, here is where the world interacts with you and here is where your skin is the first to say are you welcome or do you look a little bit too foreign and we need to put our guard up so many times in overactive immune systems our skin is where it shows blisters red spots bumps. So here is an organ system that we take for granted that I want to spend a few minutes allowing you to connect with it and to have deeper appreciation perhaps than you had before. So dropping in to your sacred space with the intention to become aware of your skin and more balanced in your skin and in harmony. Dropping in, just feeling all of the tingle and the sensory functions your skin has to offer you. Everywhere you're feeling, touching, the air that just sends a breeze by you. The rocky ground you step on if you're walking in shoes, but also in bare feet. Everywhere you feel that's your skin. So coming now, coming in to your heart space, and sitting and welling up inside your heart. This, let's think of it as a balloon, big balloon of gratitude. Gratitude for your skin, for the job that it does protecting you, for the job that it does being the front line, for the job that it does holding the rest of you, into form. Put all of your gratitude that you can muster up into this beautiful balloon. Just watch as that balloon fills bigger and bigger, filled with the welling up of your heart and the gratitude it feels. And now let's let that balloon float freely outside of you until it's just above your head. Big balloon filled with gratitude. And now just visualize or see, imagine, know, feel as that balloon breaks. And a shower of gratitude comes pouring down over you. See it, feel it, know it. Sparkly, electrified, alive, soothing, filled with appreciation and respect as all of this flow of gratitude comes pouring down from your head down around your face and the back of your head to your shoulders down your arms down the front of your body down the back just covering your hips your lower belly your butt spilling down over the backs of your legs, the fronts of your thighs, the sides down around your knees, your calves, your heels, your feet. Standing here in this shower of gratitude and respect for your skin. Just feel yourself in that shimmery, Maybe it's a sheen that went over you. Perhaps you feel it as a very fine, silky cloth. You are coated with appreciation for your skin. Under your arms, behind your ears, in the webs between your fingers and toes, the backs of your knees, the insides of your thighs, Appreciation for every bit of skin that every day does its job without complaining. And yes, we can develop some wrinkles. Maybe we develop a few extra blebs here and there. And maybe we even have some parts of fatty and cellulite that we cosmetically get upset about but instead we're gonna feel the real beauty value of your skin. This is the guard dog of the interface that you put out there in the universe. This is the front line. This is the commander of the watchtower. And here we are appreciating it. Recognizing it. Sending immense gratitude to your skin for the beautiful job that it's done. And if it hasn't quite done the job as harmonized and as smooth as we'd like, let's take a few moments now and have that spill of gratitude elicit more balance, more harmony more perfect functioning of the skin that we now know is so important and that we can now feel such deep appreciation for. Harmonizing our skin. The tingles, the little electrical frizzes all along the edges the places where we interface the places where quietly our skin says hmm do you belong or don't you are you harmful or not sending this beautiful appreciation energy as it heals all of the imbalances and reharmonizes and recalibrates skin. And just holding here for a few moments with appreciation and intention for harmony and balance in your skin. And just hold this here as long as you'd like, always with gratitude.